Tracking down songwriters for this podcast can be challenging. Publishing companies don't return your emails. A prospective songwriter doesn't return your email. Did I mention publishing companies really not returning your emails? But just when you think it's time to hang it up, the universe throws you a frickin' bone and you get a random email from a podcast listener named Keith Larson hooking you up with a buddy of his who happens to be the writer of one of country music's greatest songs of all time and a few other hits, too. I'm Tom Maley, luckiest guy in the world, and this is Write You a Song. The Dance is one of those rare songs that transcends its genre, its era. It's one of those songs that even if you're hearing for the 10,000th time, it's simple yet elegant production and lyrics and Garth Brooks' understated vocals still pack an emotional wallop, but that song... And Tony Arata's whole legendary career, which includes being a member of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, might never have happened had it not been for the one single that Tony released as a brief country solo artist in 1986. The song didn't even chart, but there was this then unknown artist named Garth who heard it and liked it. And Tony was already in the middle of spinning this story when I remembered to hit record and he will take it from here. Tony Arata now on Write You a Song. But the crazy part about that is that it had a whole nother life after the fact, because that was on Garth's sophomore record. So, uh, matter of fact, when I met Garth, I'll always remember after I met him at Douglas Corner Cafe here right after we moved here. He's one of the first people I met, and he had just moved here from Oklahoma. And, you know, I was just going out to all the open mic shows. I didn't know what this, how to get started in this business. So when I introduced myself to him, he sang back, part of that song same old story to me uh because he had one of the copies of the album that i had done for mca it's all it's it's, uh well i mean it's just one of those things and we've been friends ever since and he wound up cutting same old story on no fences while they dance how she holds him pulls him close Loves him so while he dreams of another, counts the days until he lets her go. Say. working on the on the sophomore record and here's the crazy part about the dance is the fact that so when it it was not going to be a single it wasn't going to be because by then Bowen had moved to Capitol and so he they had had three singles on Garth and they said well that's that's it we're going on to because they already had friends in a lot of places in the can and it's like we've got we've got the career launcher right here well, 
Alan Reynolds, the producer of the dance and Garth's longtime producer, you know, said, Jim, you, you can't not release this song. You, you know, you've got to, you've got to humor me and go to a concert and watch the reaction. And then you make that decision. And so Alan Reynolds took Jimmy Bowen to a concert. And of course, by then the song was already the, the show closer and everybody had their lighters up and everything like that. And Reynolds apparently just said, you sure you, you want to miss, you, you don't want to do this. You know, you don't want to put this on the radio. And Bowen said, okay, we're going to do it, but we're not going to release it as a single. We're going to release it. If you want it, you have to go buy the record. You have to go buy the album. <laughs> so that, so that launched the career because, you know, not, not I'm not saying it because of me. I'm just saying because of the, it, it, the song hit and, Everybody went out and bought records, and then suddenly Garth had sold, you know, six million copies, and it was over. And then, then they followed that with Friends in Low Places, and it was like the bookends. You know, he could do the, the you know, the deeper stuff, and, and then he could do the party stuff. And so, you know, it's like he had all the bases covered already, and so he was free to do whatever he wanted, and it just it just worked out well. But if, if not for Alan Reynolds, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. When did you? What year did you actually write that song? I wrote that right after we moved to Nashville. We moved from uh, my wife Jamie and I have been together forever, and we we moved from a little town called Thunderbolt, Georgia, which is the shrimp shrimping community there outside of Savannah, where I was born. I grew up out on Tybee Island. But when we, we grew up, when we got married, we lived in a little, you know, apartment. It's beautiful. It's right there on the intercoastal waterway in Thunderbolt. And uh, <laughs> this, is the, this, is, this is the truth, Tom. Here's why I'm in Nashville and why we got here in October of 1986. Because uh, October 1, I came home and from band practice, and my landlord was sitting on the front stoop. And, and he said, I just need to see y'all's apartment, you know before y'all vacate. I said, where, where are we going? And uh, he said, well, your wife called and gave 30 days notice and said, uh, she's moving to Nashville. And I said, well, you know, did, I hope she mentioned we were both moving to Nashville. I mean, maybe she's going, and that, you know, maybe this is over. This is her way of telling me. Right. But anyway, so she literally forced my hand. Um, and so 30 days later, we, we were Nashvilleians. And we came with no plan, no money, no nothing. Same story as everybody else that comes here. So, yeah, the dance was the dance was odd because uh, I I kind of had a song called, but it wasn't called the dance, but it was that melody, and it had a completely different set of lyrics to it. Mm. And and we would not be having that this conversation had those lyrics stuck, but. There again, good fortune played its way, you know, into the, into the whole scene because not long after we moved here, uh, I was working at UPS loading trucks, and I didn't have to go in, you know, first thing in the morning like my like Jamie did. She she's the brains of the outfit. She has an MBA, and she got a job right off the bat. Playing a band doesn't give you many skill sets, Tom. I don't know if you play, but you know, <laughs> other than other than child psychology or being a moving man, that's pretty much that's what you're that's what you're left with. Uh, uh, go back to this: how that song transpired is the fact that 
so I had nothing to do, in, in, you know, first part of the day. And so I went to a movie and by myself. And there was a scene in this movie that hit me so have strongly that it was the genesis for the lyrics that are now the dance. And, you know, I wrote it, those lyrics in 30 minutes because then I knew what the song was supposed to be about. And, uh, but I mean, if the other lyrics had stuck, I'd still be UPS. Looking back on the memory of the dance we shared the stars above for a moment all the world was right how could I have known that you'd ever say goodbye and now I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end the way it all would go the movie was yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. it was a a movie called peggy sue got married now i'm really gonna i'm really gonna date myself now (laughs) but uh kate turner and nick cage and there's a scene in there where she you know she knows how bad everything turns out by marrying nick cage because she goes back in time there was a locket around her neck with her children's pictures in it and uh now the pictures were from another time with a, you know, when they were dating. And what, it just struck me that if she doesn't marry Nick Cage, she, she's not gonna get her kids. And there was something so poignant to me about the fact that you have to ride all the rides, you don't get to pick and choose. And uh, if you change one thing, you're gonna alter everything else that comes after it. And so the fact that's why the, the line, the payoff line is what it is. It's my life. Better left to chance I could have missed the pain But I'd have had to miss The dance Yeah, there was some, there was some heartache But it, I wouldn't have, I'll, I'll take, gladly take the heartache for the, for the dance that I got to have with you You know, and it's like so it was very easy to write it after that. And um, the only resistance I met after that fact was, the fact was that it didn't have a bridge. And um, I tried desperately to write one, but every time I did, it just sounded like I had tried to write a bridge and throw it at the end, of, you know, in between the second course and the last course. Do you think that's one of the reasons the song was successful? That that was one of the things that helped it stand out. I don't I, I don't know, but I I uh, but it was the same reason. Garth told me that he was he loved the fact that it was just that simple, that it was just verse chorus verse chorus out, you know, and that was it. And quite honestly, 
sometimes with bridges, you can really, you know, they, they, a lot, half of them are gratuitous to me. And the other, and then a quarter of them are just, I don't know. Uh, you're just saying the same thing again. You're not saying anything new. Mm-hmm. You're just using a different music pattern. But then there's those that stand out and you go, there's what, that's what a bridge is supposed to do. It's supposed to, do, it's supposed to do something. You know, my always, when I go out and talk to classes or whatever, you know, the one I always use is uh, tequila sunrise, you know, you know, take another shot of courage and, you know, wonder why the right words never come. It's, it's com- a complete musical departure from the rest of the song. And it just ties it all up completely. But a lot of times it's just, okay, you got to have a bridge. Okay. Here's one go. And then, it's, and that's what it sounds like. And for me, just beating the same idea over again to have to say that you have a bridge just it didn't work conversely you know i know for a fact that one of the better ones i was ever fortunate to get to be a part of or be in the you know be around when it came to mind was was the bridge on here i am that patty did well, on this podcast, you know, one of the things I like to do before we get to the stories behind the songs is, is you know, talk to you about your creative process and when that spark first struck and how, wh- wh- what was it for you? Have you always been musically inclined? Have you always? No, no, no. I, I was, the only thing I cared about and, you know, until I got to be about 13 years old was baseball. That's I loved base. I wanted to be a baseball player. And about the time the ball started curving, I realized that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> and uh, so my brother gave me his old guitar, and it was an old Stella. And uh, and that was the summer that we moved from – I moved with my folks from – and I was – I don't know, I was 14, so 15 years old, somewhere in there. Moved with my folks to – uh, Tybee Island, back to, back to Savannah area. I, I mean, I'd been from Savannah, and then we moved to Carolina, and then I came back. And I, I was crushed because I was in the, I was going into the eleventh grade, and we got uprooted and moved to Tybee, which is a great place. But I, I had no friends. I had no, you know, it's like that's an awkward age to kind of establish a, a life. And so that guitar was my saving grace. And all my siblings are a lot older than me, and they'd already moved on, married and college and whatever. And they they'd moved on. They left me their album collections, mm. you know. And I had a stereo, a guitar, and you know every conceivable genre of music you could think of. I think it was that summer, uh, first summer there, when it the the lights went off, the epiphany that you know I was looking through these albums. Back then, you could actually find out who wrote something. Mm-hmm. And I realized that some of these songs that I love so much weren't written by the people that were singing them, you know? I mean, I loved Aretha's version of Respect, but it was written by a boy from Georgia, you know, a fellow from Georgia, uh, Otis Redding. And it just kind of make you just, I made a connection that, well, huh, well, it's a free country. You can write a song, you know, if you want to. And I, I started writing and, uh, never stopped. And so anything you do that much, you know, you're either going to 
get a little better at or you're going to move on to something else. But it was always something that I just, I just enjoyed doing. You know, I never wanted to be an artist. I thought the coolest thing of all was to be, you know, the, had the anonymity of being a songwriter. Really? And yeah, I mean, it's like you hear these songs and, and of course I was from, I was born and raised in a, you know, a city with the, probably one of the greatest American songwriters ever. Johnny Mercer was born in Savannah. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, you know, mantle was there all the time. And, uh, and I don't know. I just, I've always said, I, if we weren't having this conversation and nobody knew any of my songs and nothing had ever happened, I know for a fact I'd still have the same number of songs. I mean, I'd still have the same songs. Wow. I, uh, I never, I never did it for that reason. I did it because I thoroughly, it was my, you know, vocation. It turned out to be, but it was my advocacy. It was what I, I love to do. And, uh, but I've always done it. I mean, and I still do it. I just don't, I don't write as much as I used to, but I probably enjoy what I write even more because I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not convinced that I'm, I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to get cuts with these, with the, some of the newer artists. So I, I write for my, I write strictly, I write, what I enjoy writing yeah, yeah. And, and, and when I have an idea, I, I love, there, there's no rush to finish it. That's why I don't co-write very much because, you know, it's one thing to waste your time, but somebody else's is another issue altogether. Where did the, but I write a lot in the old school way, like I, not to compare myself for heaven's sake, but you know, I always loved how Mercer and Mancini, you know, they, they came up with all these incredible, it was the American songbook. But one person wrote the lyric and one person wrote the music. And they were, there was, that was the way they co-wrote. And when I got to Nashville and everybody got together in a room, there were two people would get together in a room and, you know, both had guitars and both had legal pads. It was just completely, it was foreign to me. And uh, so I, I wrote most of the stuff I've written is, was by myself. And there's the songs that I write a lot of, I write a lot with a guy by the name of Pete Foster piano player played piano for Vince Gill for many many years and Pete could care less about words brilliant brilliant pianist but could care less about lyrics okay but on, on like the dance or or here I am uh, for Patty Loveless those songs those melodies that was that was all you those were not co-writes in any way that was just Tony or no 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 the, no, the four number ones that I had were all solo writes. right and 90 percent of what I've had cut has been solo ride um now patty cut a song of mine and pete's called nobody here by that name and you can tell i didn't write that melody <laughs> you can just tell that somebody that knew a lot more about theory than i do wrote that melody i can tell by looking at the shadows across the wall without picking up who it is who decided to call it's late and you're all tore down You woke up, darling, and found You ran another one off And you want somebody to blame But there's nobody here By that name Why you carry on about 
What I think is interesting, you, you talk about Pete, and earlier you were talking about the, the melodies that, that he provides. And one of the things I was going to bring up to you is I think you are <clears throat> incredible with melody. Um, in particular, the dance is a beautiful melody, but Here I Am is one of the most achingly beautiful and country melodies yeah. uh, ever. Wow, well, I appreciate, I appreciate that, Tom, yeah. Well, there again, sometimes being uh, not very talented is is a big benefit. I've always thought, <laughs> no, I'm very serious about that. I mean, you, you don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. You, you just, you know, that's what you hear in your head. So you find enough chords to make it happen, but you don't, you don't worry about, well, that theoretically that doesn't work. You know, you don't worry about that. You go, that's what I hear in my head. And so I got to figure out how to play it on the guitar. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I so many people, I told you, there's so many people that have just influenced me and, you know, that I owe a lot to, you know, I always remember I wrote Here I Am the morning after I went to see one of these open mic shows we and and one of the few established writers that would always show up, kind of like the big kid on the block, you know, like, you know, there's hope for you. It, it, could, it could happen with Kevin Welch. And, oh, I uh, love Kevin Welch. I love oh, yeah. Kevin Welch. Oh, oh yeah. There's something about you that's been keeping me awake the whole night through. There's something about you. I got this life of mine, it's nice and quiet and I like it fine. I work real hard, got no time for you, no more. But I've whiskeyed up my coffee cup, I'm sitting here trying not to call you up. And it's getting to where I don't know what to do. There's something about you, baby, something about you. It was like a senior hanging out with a freshman, you know. <laughs> okay. And and uh, but it was, and he was just the nicest guy, and brilliant, brilliant writer, and truly one of the best souls I ever met. And uh, and I saw, so and Kevin, he got up there and did some song, and it broke every rule I'd heard you had to follow in order to get a song cut. And it was just brilliant. And I went, well, Kevin ain't doing it. Kevin's doing a Kevin song, and it's great. So the next day. Because uh, I've met so much resistance about here I am because they said you can't change the chorus. The chorus has got to be the same every time. And I said, well, Kevin didn't do that. So that that might end up being the the title of this podcast because Kevin did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. You know what? It's the truth. Because I'm telling you, that's where here I am came from. Don't do it, darling. Don't you dare look in there. You said you didn't want to see. You've been looking for me everywhere And you know that you're gonna find me If you keep on drinking fast Cause honey, I'm right there waiting on you At the bottom of your glass And here I Burn you just like a brand 
broken, darling. Hard as you may try, you keep hearing the words you told me. And everyone's goodbye. And you know that you're just one. It, it just it was a great lesson to learn. You're going to have to make some of your own rules. You're going to have to do. You're going to have to do something to set yourself apart. Not on purpose. Not on purpose. No, don't purposely use a chord you saw some jazz guy play just because you can, you know. But it's like follow your instincts on something. Don't follow the rules. Follow what you hear in your head and your heart. I mean, sometimes you have to do that. And. You know, here I am. So it was seven years before, from the time I wrote it to when Patty got it. She she passed on it three or four times, hmm. and but finally got to a place in her life where the story of the song connected to her, and she that's why it's delivered that potently. And there again, the number one song for her. And Emery told her husband, Emery Gordy, told me, he said, man, we didn't even cut that song as a single. There's no background vocals on it. But here I am. Here I am. I still carry a flag for you. Burning me like a brand. Here I am. But yet, it got all the calls on the, you know, uh, people were calling in and requesting it. So they put it out as a single. And it, you know, it was a, it was a number one for her. It, do you have a story yeah. about singing that song with her in Lexington, Kentucky, and it, it didn't go? Oh, Knoxville. Or, Knoxville. Okay, okay. What is that? <laughs> well, I joke, I, I love Patty Loveless like none other. I mean, she's a dear friend, and I just think she's, you know, I've, truly one of the greatest voices to ever come down the pipe ever you know it's all so anyway when here i am was number one i got him records to go over to to uh knoxville she was opening for vince gill so i got to ride on the bus with all the big wigs from epic and uh <laughs> when i got there patty came up to me she said tony i want you to sing the song with me tonight and i always joke and i say i would had just enough beer on the ride over to say that's a great idea let's do that <laughs> and uh, so, uh, and we did. And I was shaking like a leaf. And I'm, we're standing there holding hands. And, you know, she was trying to, call, you know, I was scared to death. There's 20-something thousand people out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, anyway, in my, in my excitement to do this, and I never asked her what key she did it in. So as it turns out, she does it in E flat. I do it in G. And... Uh, it's like there's no middle ground. There's you're either singing like Lou Rawls or you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to sing as high as Mariah Carey, you right. know. And uh, it, uh, it 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 could have gone better. I'm, I'm guessing, <laughs> but I it, anyway. It, it all her her one of her, one of the stage managers. You know, when he parted the curtains for me to exit, uh, I just looked at him and he said, "Well, nobody died." <laughs> and uh, so that was that was that was my first taste of a uh, review, you know, from the big leagues. 
But anyway, I always joke and I say, you know, because Patty asked me, she said, uh, she said, I thought it went great. She said, what do you, I said, I, I'll never forget it. She said, I'll never forget it either. And I always joke and say, I don't think she meant it the same way I, I did because I've never been asked back to sing it. <laughs> so when she said she'd never forget it, by God, she meant it. So, it was, oh, anyway, man. But, That's awesome. That is great. Um, you have another song. I mean, you've got so many songs. We just, I don't have time to, to ask uh, ask you about all of them. I do want to ask you about one more Garth song, and that's The Change, which really yeah. came along, I think, at a time in America when we needed a song like that. And um, yeah. was that... Alan always thought so. Was Alan that, was that the impetus so. for that no, song? No, no, no. But here's, here, no, uh, here's, here's where that song came from, is... Um, Again, I was working with a piano player, a fellow by the name of Wayne Tester, and he he wrote he wrote he gave me a, a complete chord progression, that whole chord progression from top to bottom. And I literally, we never sat in a room together and wrote that song. And my one of my one of my heroes always was Curtis Mayfield. I loved he was just I thought it was so cool that a guy could uh, have an entire career with songs that were nothing but love and faith and hope and, you know, forgiveness and respect and dignity. And I went, how did he ever, you know, how did he ever make it? And uh, so I always, I I wrote that lyric and the challenge for me was I want to write a song that I would have, I want to write a lyric I would have played from Mr. Mayfield. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the impetus for that song. And I had that melt. I had that, chord progression to work with which is something i would have never come up with so anyway uh and garth liked it but he he had he didn't want to he didn't it didn't strike him and then the oklahoma city thing happened Mm -hmm. and that's his that's his home state and then the song took on a whole different meaning to him so one of the things that always upset me was I, i i was afraid that people thought i wrote that song as you know, in reaction to that that event, and I would I, I've always railed against anyone who used a tragedy as a impetus to write a song. I mean, that's you know one of those things that's just always bugged me. I've, I've never I never wanted to be a part of that. So it was the song was had been written years before the event, and uh, but but. He, it was his home. It was his home state. It's Oklahoma City. It's these are his people, and so the you know, it meant something to him then, and he you know, so, uh, and it's and it is one of the songs that I would have played for you know Curtis Mayfield, and I'll always remember. I, I hadn't seen the video. I, I didn't know it, and they they debuted at the CMA Awards. And I'll always remember Reba in the front row just crying. And, you know, it's like she's an Oklahoman too. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, you, I'm sure you've seen the video, and mm-hmm. it is of that day, but it was about all the heroes, all the people helping people. It was about that, you know. So Being, uh, being the change. Right. Yeah, you, you can't do everything, but you can do something. You can show up and help somebody do something. One hand. Reaches out and pulls a lost soul from harm, while a thousand more 
the ones spoken for And they say, what good have you done By saving just this one It's like whispering a prayer In the fury of a storm And I hear them say You'll never change things And no matter what you do, it's still the same thing. But it's not the world that I am changing. I do this so this world will know that it will not change me. This heart still believes It's kind of like a double-edged thing. It, it, it didn't start from that, but it wound up being attributed with that. And I'm, I'm very grateful that it did because, you know, it's weird. I, I've got some songs that were never big hits, but everybody, they've, they've come to be somebody's song. And a lot of people, that was their song. And uh, same thing with a song that Hal Ketchum did and Randy Travis did called Satisfied Mind that was never released, never, never on, never released as a single or, you know, it was on both their records. But that's why you, you can't just write what you think the radio wants to hear. You have to write the best, you know, hopefully the best thing you can whenever you get a chance. Many more miles were behind him. He had left to go Closing in upon that last one We all must walk alone It's the one across the end of the line So we held on and we told stories Of the good and bad and all Of the power and the glory And the lonely days that crawl And we prayed heaven holds true love And a satisfied mind They said I ain't afraid of dying Cause I know there's something worse When you have to see your reason for living Go first and you get left behind some can't think of nothing better Than to live this life forever I never wanted no more than was mine And to lay down someday and go home With a satisfied mind And let because I came up and so did you I came up with albums you know, it's oh, like, some some of I my favorite songs are problem cuts. I, I, sure. I, uh, undeniably, I, I, my probably my top ten favorite songs are songs that maybe maybe three of them were actual hits, singles. The others are right. album cuts. Sure. Nobody asked what Jackson Brown's newest hit was. They just went to see him in sh- in concert because they all had their favorite song from that album. Yeah. That's why I never wrote what I said. Now this is a hit. You know, I, I mm-hmm. could never say that about anything I wrote. I, it was invariably, if I try, tried to write something for somebody, 
or what I thought was a hit, it always, always the head from Jamie, like, don't do that again, please. You know, it's like, you know, you, you don't, and a great guy by the name of Ralph Murphy, who worked at ASCAP for many years, said, don't ever chase the radio, because by the time it gets to the radio, the radio will have changed. So yeah. just write, write the song, not the radio, well, you know, not the current trend. Talking about favorite songs, one of my probably top five songs from the 1990s is one of your songs. And I didn't realize it until after I got this opportunity to interview you and I was going through, you know, your, the songs that you'd written and it's, uh, Clay Walker's dreaming with my eyes wide open, which wow is, I, I had just started my job down here in, in, in Sacramento at the radio station that, that I'm still at 32 years later. And I had wow. a, a young child, young family, and yeah. that song just, it, it laid me out. Um, I really identified with it. It's so hard. It just came along that with that. Great. Yeah. And it's just a great song. The song rocks. Oh yeah. That, the band that I played with down in Atlanta, we worked it up this time and played on it and they, to get to play it live with a band was great, you know, and cause they're a great bunch of players, but yeah, had a weird beginning because I had had some success when Paramount Pictures decided to make this movie, Thing Called Love, and they literally contracted certain writers to write songs for the movie soundtrack, which was com- completely foreign to me. I said, wait, let me get this straight. You're going to write, you're going to pay me to write a song before you have a song? <laughs> I went, and like you, I just had, we just had our second child. I went, sure, I'll do it. And they said, well, do you, we're going to get you a copy of the script. And I said, that's nice, but I, I don't need the script. You know, if you're going to pay me to write a song, I got bills. Trust me, I, I've got all the inspiration I need. So <laughs> I'll write your song. And um, anyway, so uh, I wrote that when we were down visiting Jamie's parents. All I knew is they wanted some, they told me what the gist of the movie was. And I wrote the song, went in with a couple of buddies of mine that I grew up playing songs with, playing music with down in Savannah. And uh, Frank, you know, Andrews, who played the guitar on the demo, uh, he said, what do you want me to do? I said, just hit a big G chord at the beginning, just as loud as you can do it. And he said, okay, and he did. And then we got the record, and that's how the rap starts with this big power chord. Yep.
playing at the Bluebird uh, one Friday night, and in comes Sandra Bullock and River Phoenix and Bogdanovich, and they're, you know, hangers-on and all this stuff. So, <laughs> I went, okay. And so that was my one brush with Hollywood. <laughs> and then I took, then, then as fate would have it, I took all my family to see the movie, and of course, there's like 13 seconds of the song in the movie when they're riding down the road. It's coming through the radio. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And I'll always remember my brother just, you know, whacking me on the back of the head saying, I want my money back. <laughs> you know. I said, man, I bought the ticket. Hey, man, thank you. Uh, you've you given said. me more time than I've deserved. And it has been. No, no, no. No, no. It's an honor. Oh, don't be silly, man. And, and listen, you're, I appreciate your kindness and, um, let me know if I need anything else you need from me. And I'll, I'll always be grateful to my buddy Keith Larson for, you know, turning me on to this. And I thank you for having me. Me too. Shout out to Keith. Thank you, Tony Arata. Thank you now. We can do some living. And that is going to do it for this episode of Write You a Song and... The whole podcast. I mean, Tony Arata is a great guest to wrap up with, wouldn't you agree? Uh, I want to thank some of the folks who helped make this thing happen, including those instrumental in helping me line up guests. Folks like Nate Deaton, Mike Severson of Songwriter City, Brett Warren, JT Harding. I want to thank every single songwriting guest I've had on here. It was a half hour to an hour out of their incredibly busy lives. And a take time for me, and more importantly, for anyone interested in becoming a songwriter or just in the craft of songwriting, it's so appreciated. Thank you, too, to my company, Bonneville Communications International, for providing the platform for this podcast, and my program director at KNCI Radio in Sacramento, Chad Roofer, for encouraging me to give this thing a try back in 2018. Most of all, I want to thank you for listening, and I hope this thing lives on and inspires future songwriters and artists to believe that their crazy dreams are possible, too. For one last time, thank you for listening to Write You a Song.